Hey everyone, I'm Mackenzie. And I'm Haley. We are two sisters and best friends, and we're the hosts of Real Talk About Feminism, a podcast for female empowerment. Each week, we release a new episode. We talk about everything from periods to current events. And different types of feminism to worse first dates. Subscribe on Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts, and tune in each week. Thanks for listening. Welcome. Whoa! <laughs> That's so loud. I realized that my, I realized that my mic wasn't on, so I didn't hear it in the headphones. <laughs> Guys, welcome back to Real Talk About Feminism. This is episode forty-one. I'm we keeping that in. Tonight. That was so funny. <laughs> that was funny. Um. Yes, we are feeling it. Ken's keeps calling me girly whirly. A new little thing, but I love it. Sometimes when we answer the phone, we have, like, weird, funny nicknames for each other. Yeah, just, like, we come up with it on the spot. One that I use quite often is Pumpkin Butt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we just come up with the most random things, so that's, it's, it's just funny. It's hilarious. Today we're doing the history of birth control. Yes. Something I'm very, very passionate about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've talked about birth control before, and I remember a few episodes we were recording and we talked about how we wanted to do yeah a history of this type of stuff. So Yeah, this will be a good one. Haley has all the notes. Mm-hmm. Um I have zero <laughs> contribution to this planning. But um we're gonna talk about like most of the types of birth control, is that right? Um, yeah, for the most part. And we're also just gonna talk about really interesting history in general. And so we kind of wanted, like, it's kind of fun to have Ken's react to this anyways, because I'll just tell you, some of it is mind-blowing. So it's just, I think it'll be good. I can't wait. Yeah. Today's feminist highlight. Oh, sorry. Any... No, I I was going to say... Okay. (laughs) I was going to say, let's just get into it. Okay. So today's feminist highlight is America's Sweetheart, Mm -hmm. who sadly departed from this world on New Year's Eve of 2021. Miss Betty White, um, we all know her, we all love her. Um, I just wanted to touch on the fact that she was a fierce animal rights activist, civil rights activist. She advocated for same-sex marriage and civil rights and fighting homophobia and racism. Like she truly was America's sweetheart and she just loved everybody, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. So Miss Betty White, we miss you. And that's today's highlight. Yeah, we just want to be really short with the highlight, but it's just a tribute to Miss Betty. So, yeah. So that is our our feminist highlight. Rest in peace, Betty White. Thank you for your your contribution to the world. All right, let's get into the history of birth control. And there's a lot of history. We're starting at 3000 BC. Okay literally 3,000 years before Christ was born. So we're really um, diving deep here. But I got all of this this information and this whole timeline from um, www.ourbodiesourselves.org. And they have a lot of great resources. So if you want to learn more, then this article is going to be in the show notes. So definitely go here. They have a really extensive list. So I couldn't include all the details, but if you want to learn even more about the history of birth control, then definitely go to that website. 
You also mentioned that Planned Parenthood had a really good comprehensive summary of just the pill. Right. But that's also a really great resource to look at if you want history on that. Yeah. It's really interesting to just learn about where these things come from. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if you just search up history of birth control, that Planned Parenthood, it's a PDF, it comes up first thing. So um, you can also check that out um, there. So starting off at 3000 BC, ancient societies, including people in Crete and Egypt, they began developing condoms. And what were these condoms made out of, you might ask? They were made from animal and fish bladders or intestines and linen sheaths. Oh! <laughs> yep. They stuck an intestine on there. Wow. Oh. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm just going to be, like, horrifyingly gasping. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, well, the thought I have is, like, that's so interesting that so long ago they were trying to prevent pregnancy as well. Yeah. Like, they understood how the human body worked and that, like, in my opinion, like, sex wasn't just for pregnancy, you know? So, right. like, that's so interesting that they used what they had. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And, yeah, that's, like, so inventive. Yeah. And it is interesting that even 3,000 years before Christ, like, they were realizing that when they were having sex, people were getting pregnant. Yeah. So, um, really interesting. So that is our first little tidbit. Um, and then, so that was 3000 BC. Then we move on to 1850 BC and Egypt developed one of the first spermicides by combining crocodile dung and fermented dough. And it was, it had the spermicide effect because of the low pH of the dung. So that's what they believe had that spermicidal effect. Okay. I couldn't find out where they put it. Gross. But um yeah. I mean I'm pretty I'm sure we know. Yeah. <laughs> but um Ew. Yeah. So the um crocodile dung and fermented dough. Okay. It's crazy. I wonder if that actually works. I wonder. Um, but yeah, so that was, I mean, it kind of makes sense because sperm can't thrive in that low pH. Yeah, and it's pretty filthy too. So. Yeah, so I'm sure they just died on impact because they hated it. Yeah. <laughs> That's that science. Funny. Um, yeah, so, okay, so that was 1850 BC. So those are the two ancient times, but now we're going to 1855. And this is when the first rubber condom was produced. Okay. So we're not relying on fish bladders and animal intestines anymore. <laughs> yep, and poop. We have rubber condoms. Okay. So there's that one. I wonder how effective it would be interesting to know how effective like the their the first rubber condom was. Yeah, and like how it was produced, like um the materials they use, like besides rubber. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. So that was in 1855, so pretty early yeah, on. that wasn't that long ago, I guess. No, it really wasn't. Um, so 1855, and now we move on to 1873, and this is when Congress passed the Comstock, the Comstock Act, okay. which to me, I was like, that rings a bell. I remember it, reading yes, about that. Yes, it does. Do you remember what it was, or does it just ring a bell? I thought it had something to do with, like, civil rights. I thought that too, but it says that the Comstock Act 
criminali criminalizes using the U.S. Postal Service to mail any obscenity, contraceptives, um, or sex toys and authorizes the U.S. Postal Service to confiscate birth control sold through the mail. Okay. And it's the Comstock Act because um, the chief that instated this law, his name was Anthony Comstock, and he was a special agent for the U.S. Postal Service, mm -hmm. but he was the one to enforce the law. So I thought it was also the civil rights, but it's basically just the law that prevents you from sending these things in the mail, and they can confiscate specifically birth control for being sent in the mail. Why? Like, so it was already an issue back then. Mm -hmm. Okay. I wonder if Comstock, that was his last name. Yeah. If he and like other people felt like maybe women were getting too much power by having like this new access to birth control. Yeah, I don't know, because we'll talk about this when we go further down the timeline, but it's not like the birth control pill was around in 1875, right. 1873, I mean. Um, so it, they must have just been able to confiscate any other means that you that could be used as birth control. Like, why? I'm not sure. I, I think you're right. I think they saw it as women shouldn't have the right, especially in 1873, why are women having the right to stop to prevent a pregnancy? Yeah. You know, so yes, so that law allowed the US Postal Service to confiscate any means of birth control. Okay. Next, we're moving on to 1907. And this is when the United States instituted public policies that give the that gave the government the right to sterilize, quote, unwilling and unwitting people. This was eugenics. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, that's a very interesting and devastating topic as well. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we did a feminist highlight on Margaret Sanger mm -hmm. a while back, and she was an advocate for birth control, but she was also an advocate for eugenics. Which is why she was like kind of controversial, right? Yeah, because like eugenics is like not okay. Yeah. That's terrible. Like you're literally sterilizing women based on a characteristic about them mm -hmm. that's terrible yeah yeah so and that became legal mm -hmm. so that is when yeah in 1907 that became legal in different states so congress passed it but different states passed their own laws mm. and so um indiana was the first state to enact the first sterilization law and this was in 1907 and by 1929, 30 other states had similar laws regarding sterilization of people that were, quote, insane or, quote, feeble-minded, the, quote, dependent, and the diseased as incapable of regulating their own reproductive abilities. And therefore, that justified sterilization in their mind. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, too, there's another podcast, and it's called This Podcast Will Kill You, and they did um they talked about eugenics and birth control specifically mm. and it was very interesting I recommend it but they also talked about like how they would sterilize people of color and minorities mm -hmm. and like that's a huge issue yeah and this um website talked about how the state officials used these laws disproportionately to target black women uh -huh. native american women and poor women and girls yeah and that's awful 
Yeah. And I'm thinking about like in history class in high school and growing up, like I never learned about that. Why aren't we learning about this? Yeah. I didn't learn about what is it? Eugenics. Eugenics, I didn't learn about that in school. No, but it's a big part of history. Yeah. That's terrible. Okay. So that was 1907. That was 1907. And then in 1916, Margaret Sanger, who we just Mm -hmm. talked about, she opened the first birth control clinic in the U.S. in Brownsville, Brooklyn. And then the next year in 1908, a New York court convicted Margaret Sanger of, quote, maintaining a public nuisance by dispensing contraceptive devices. And she went to jail for 30 days. Okay. Which we talked about. Uh Um, And that was for distributing condoms? Um, yes, condoms and it says contraceptive devices. So yeah, um, because they didn't have a pill or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So for distributing condoms, which is crazy. I know that you, cause like now you can walk into a Planned Parenthood and they'll give you, like they'll give you condoms. They'll give you birth control for free. Yeah. And it's crazy that condoms were so controversial that she went to jail. Yeah. She is controversial, but, like, her and, like, a lot of other people have put in the work in order Mm -hmm. so that we do have that today. Right. Yeah, so, like, not necessarily focusing on on her, but it is just crazy that someone could go to jail for 30 days for giving people condoms. That's crazy. So, yeah, that was in um, 1916, and when she was released from jail, she reopened her clinic and continued to you know, give people condoms and try to educate people. And she was prosecuted even more and Mm -hmm. she was arrested more. And then in 1917, so the year after, she began publishing the magazine Birth Control Review to educate the public about contraception. Mm -hmm. And that was part of the issue. Like people just weren't educated about it. Mm -hmm. And people didn't want, people, men, didn't want to take the time to educate themselves and learn about the female body, how pregnancy works, you know, mm-hmm. the reasons women have for not wanting to have a child at that time or yeah. if ever. So that's really, really important. Yeah. And so the fact that she released this magazine and was educating the public, that was so, that was such a good thing. Mm-hmm. So, because at that time, like, you're right, they only had condoms, and, I mean, I'm sure... Probably makeshift. Yes, other random things that they tried to do, but really the most powerful thing that they had was education. Mm -hmm. So, that is a really good contribution that she put forth. So, that was 1917, and then 10 years later, in 1927, the Supreme Court rules in Buck versus Bell that coercive sterilization does not violate the U.S. Constitution. And to justify the decision, Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. infamously said, quote, three generations of imbeciles are enough, end quote. What? And that's, so that's how he justified coercive oh. sterilization. Oh, okay. By saying, like, if a disabled person has kids and they have three generations of disabled kids that's enough like they need to be sterilized that yeah that is what he said and the u.s supreme court agreed with him so they agreed that you can coerce someone into 
getting sterilized and that's totally legal please tell me that's not legal today um i don't think it is okay um actually it's not okay but um yeah so that that's really sad honestly that is because like that's something out of somebody's control Mm -hmm. and that's literally taking away somebody's right to choose yeah and it's not okay especially there's just so many things wrong with that but it's sad, especially that that kind of mindset, his three generations of imbeciles are enough that first off, that is so rude and disrespectful to say, but also like the, the fact that the Supreme Court agreed with that logic and that mm-hmm. just made perfect sense. Like that is so not okay. Oh my they're like, why don't you get up on the bench with us? We actually really like that statement. Yeah. They're like, you know what? You're a judge now. <laughs> We like that. That's terrible. Yeah. So um, that and was. Remind me what year that was. 1927. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's like almost 100 years ago. Yeah. That's okay. crazy. Um, yeah. So that was 1927. Then in 1936, the U.S. court appealed the Second Circuit in U.S. versus one package rules. And they ruled that the federal Comstock law violates the U.S. Constitution. Okay. Okay. I was waiting for that. So, yeah. So now in 1936, it's not legal for them to confiscate birth control, which would basically be condoms at that time. So, yeah, it's not legal to confiscate anything like that. I wonder, because, like, I've heard of, like, the diaphragm. We're going to talk about that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know about it, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, but yeah. we're going to talk about that. Um, Actually, so that was 1936. 1938... The diaphragms, also known as womb veils, become okay. a popular method of birth control. Okay. And, and I believe that's just, like, kind of like a sponge, right, that you put up there? Yeah. So I looked it up because I had never heard of that before. And it's it, it looked kind of like, you know, um, like the nipple covers? Yeah, yeah. It looked like that, but a bigger version. And you just, like, stick it up there. And it's supposed and to it's just... it's supposed to suck everything up. It's supposed to be a barrier. Okay. To anything. Like, and it, it, it's like a, it, to me, it looked like a rubber. It actually looked like, like a nipple cover. Okay. And so it's just supposed to block. And I think that they did have ones, like, as they evolved, where they just sucked everything up. But, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that was in 1938. So then at that point, if the Comstock laws hadn't been ruled as unconstitutional two years before, then they could have confiscated these diaphragms Mm -hmm. because that was a birth control method now. Um, Ew, was it like single use or what? <laughs> I don't know. I really don't. We'll post a picture on the story yeah. for all those who don't know because I didn't know what they were. I don't know what it looks like. Um, actually, I look. I have the tab up right here. Let me see. So, um, okay, these are like a r- really bad. But see, like this picture. Oh yeah, that looks pretty much like that. Uh, oh, oh, and like okay. that. Okay. So that's where I got, like, the nipple cover. So it's kind of like a rubber bowl-looking type thing that you mm-hmm. just stick up there. Um, yeah. Interesting, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll post a picture for you guys to see because it's it's interesting. Um, so, yeah, that was in 1938. Diaphragms became very popular. Um, and then the next year, in 1939... Um, nearly 400 community-based and state-sponsored birth control clinics existed throughout the country. So quite the, uh, That's a jump. leap. Yeah. yeah. 
which is good. Yeah. Um, Only four across the whole country? 400. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was not listening, apparently. <laughs> you said you were like, four so one for like show. Northeast, Southwest? <laughs> no, 400. Okay. You said quite the job. <laughs> Only four? <laughs> um, no, so 400, which is really good. And yeah, community based and state sponsored. So, okay, so state funding. So there must have been educational resources, mm-hmm. birth control. Yeah. Which okay. is good. Um, so that was in 1939. And then from 1939 to 1942, this range, several national groups advocated for birth control. And they joined together in 1939 to form the Birth Control Federation of America. So that was in 1939. And then in 1942, they changed their name to Planned Parenthood Federation of America. Oh, no way. So advocating for birth control. Yep. Like more kinds or more distribution? Yes. I think it was making it more widely available, adding on the types of birth control because there really wasn't any. Okay. And, um, yeah, education. Okay. So, and, like, that's what Planned Parenthood does now, Mm -hmm. which is great. But, yeah, so they came together in 1939, and then by 1942, they became the Planned Parenthood Federation of America. Interesting. Which is cool. So, um, yeah, that Planned Parenthood dates back to 1939, which is a long time. A long time. That is, like, closer to 100 years than not. It's like 20 years away. It's like 80 yeah. years. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I was really confused. <laughs> um, yeah, so that is when Planned Parenthood formed. And then, so that was 1942. And then um, we jumped to 1960 now. And 1960 is when the first oral contraceptive was approved by the U.S. Food and Drugs Administration, so the FDA. So... The first oral contraceptive was called Enavid or Enavid, and then it just became known as the pill. Mm-hmm. And it was just a mix of hormones, progesterone, and estrogen, mm-hmm. which is interesting because that's what birth control is now. Yeah. And so I wonder if, like, it hasn't changed since then. I'm sure that there's been changes. Yeah, I'm sure they're just saying. Yeah, like the same idea. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yep. So it was just a mix of progesterone and estrogen. And actually, thinking of it now, now we have just progesterone pills. Right. And then we there's have different just, variations. Yeah. So. And like different doses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's like the mini pill and. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, so that was what in 1960 is when the pill was approved by the FDA. And then in 1965, five years later, the Supreme Court ruled in Griswold versus Connecticut that married couples have a constitutional right to privacy that includes the right to use birth control. However, mari- millions of married... Sorry. Tongue <laughs> twister. <laughs> However, millions of unmarried women were still denied birth control. Okay. Yep. All so right. the Supreme Court said, okay, like married couples can have the right to pri- privacy, and if they want to use birth control, they can. But if you're unmarried, you 
you still are denied birth why is everything so regulated this was not that long ago when was this 70s 1965 oh okay i was like mom and dad were alive (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so something that just i keep i flabbergasted is just my word i guess but it's honestly flabbergasting to me (laughs) it's shocking to me that it's so regulated like what is what is a healthcare thing for men that is so regulated to the point where there's so many supreme court cases regulating the rights right like why does it matter like why do they want to regulate like everyone's sex lives and their pregnancy and like Mm -hmm. everything like why does it matter I have no idea it's honestly just shocking to me because reading through and I couldn't put in all of the supreme court cases but there were so many supreme court cases and there's still some coming up Mm -hmm. but there's so many supreme court cases and it's like why is this such a big deal that women didn't have the right if you were an unmarried woman in 1965 you didn't have the right to birth control and I don't know if at this point in time, it was still the 60s, you know, like it, there was not as much technology and knowledge as there is now. But like, nowadays, many women take the pill, not to prevent pregnancy, but like mm-hmm. to regulate their cycle, yeah. or to clear up acne. And yeah, like, there's a lot of other reasons people get on birth control. And I wonder if they knew that back then, or if it was literally just like, no, if you have sex and you get pregnant, it's your fault. And it's like, there's no way around it. Yeah, I don't know if they did know that because, yeah, like you said, there's so many uses for birth control now mm-hmm. that aren't just birth control. And there's so many women that just use it for cycle regulation. Right. And, like, that's right. it. Hello. Yeah. Me right now. <laughs> and used to be me. And now that I'm off of it, I have an irregular cycle. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, like, it's just crazy. Like, and maybe they didn't know that at the time that it had those other effects. But it's just insane that if the government decided to make a choice because you were an unmarried woman, you don't get birth control. Yeah. It's like, what if you can't afford a child? Mm-hmm. What if you don't want a child? Yeah. That should be your decision and your decision only. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just don't understand how, why the government had to be so, what, it's just so regulated, but show me. And I'm honestly asking what is something that has been so regulated that is a men's issue only Mm -hmm. that has been so regulated by the government for years and years and years? I don't know. I can't think of anything. I cannot think of anything. If you guys know of anything, please tell us, but I can't think of anything. No. So. That bothers me so much. Yeah, it bothers me too. It's just. It bothers me. Like, I'm very, very grateful we have access to it because, like, my IUD was completely covered by insurance. Like, that's a really big blessing. Yeah. But it's still, like, there's just so many issues with it still. Yeah. We could get into that. Kind of what? Oh, your IUD. We already did. I know. I'm just sure we hashed it out last time. We just love talking about your IUD. We really Um, do. But she's such a gem. I mean, she's misbehaving right now. She is misbehaving. (laughs) Ew. But speaking of IUDs, actually, um... In 1968, the FDA approved intrauterine devices, IUDs, and they brought in early versions called Lips Loop, L-I-P-P-E-S, okay, and Copper 7 to the market. Those were the two IUDs. Okay. And then within a few years, more than 10% of women 
were using contraception had IUDs. Okay. So that became very popular. Yeah. Probably because people didn't want to take a pill every day. Yeah. So um, you're like, I got you, girl. I get it. <laughs> um, so, yeah. They legalized IUDs in 1968. And then in 1972, the Supreme Court in Einstein versus Baird, they legalized birth control for unmarried people. Yay! <laughs> I just took a big swig of her water. <laughs> From cherry Coke. Oh, ooh, yummy. I'm not drinking soda, so that sounds really oh, good. Good for you. Yummy. Um, I wasn't trying to be sarcastic, but it is kind of just like, oh, it took that long. All right. Yeah. In 1972, unmarried women could use birth control. Okay. I mean, they probably were anyway. Right. Like, like they were probably if I was married and my friend was single and needed birth control, I would have shared. Like, yeah, girl, let me be a drug dealer. <laughs> Get some. I didn't need it like that, but that's funny. <laughs> Get some. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, okay. So then in 1974, the FDA suspended the sale of the IUD after four years on the market because there was multiple users that developed severe infection oh. and oh. at least seven women died. <gasps> from the infections from their IUDs and it was just from this one design of the IUD so they took that off the market and then in the following years most IUDs were slowly taken off the market due to a bunch of lawsuits and there was just Mm. so many costs in, in legal fees and so many lawsuits that were happening so they just slowly started taking them off the market it's really scary yeah, that's really scary. Mm-hmm. You're like looking down at your uterus, <laughs> like, um, <laughs> um okay. <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of crazy. That was in 1974. Then in 1978, sorry, before you move on, so did they still have a couple designs on the market or were they just like off? Or like, did women just not want them anymore? I think it was a mix of both. They slowly just started taking them all off the market, mm-hmm. but also like women were just very scared to use yeah them i'd be very skeptical yeah so um so that was 1974 then in 1978 another supreme court case um and this was carry versus population services and in this case it was determined that states cannot constitutionally place any restrictions on the advertisement sale and distribution of contraceptives to individuals of any age oh so, okay it was now legal to advertise and sell and distribute contraception to any age. Okay. I was not expecting that. I I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like now we think about it and we see on the TV, like I see ads all the time for next one. All the time. Yeah. All the time. But yeah, we see that all the time and yeah, that wasn't legal back then. Mm -hmm. Okay. So kind of a big jump all of a sudden in 1978, like, okay, it's legal now, um, but that's good. And there was no age restriction. So, which if you're doing advertisements, you can't really restrict it to an age. I guess they didn't all have smartphones and stuff back then. Yeah. So. But anyway, so yeah, that was 1978. Then we jump up to 1993. And this is when the FDA approved the first female condom, the FC1. And that the FC1 was a pouch that was inserted into the vagina before intercourse 
to prevent pregnancy and reduce the risk of sexually transmitted infections, or STIs. Okay. So, yeah, in 1993, the first female condom, which I was under the impression, I learned in health class, I didn't know that there was a female condom that you could, like, insert. I uh, thought we're it was, thinking of dental dams. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I, I knew dental dams. Yeah. I've never really Which, heard of a female, I've heard of a female condom, but I didn't know it was inserted. Yeah, I thought it was just, just dental dams. Why like, just make the dude wear it? Like, come on. Honestly. <laughs> Yeah, that's an but issue. that's great. You know, if you like want to be more in charge, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Hmm, very interesting. Um, well, so I'm curious too, because like the whole like women's liberation movement, mm-hmm. like, was there anything significant there, or like did it all lead to like 1993? I think it was just all it led up to 1993. So yes, the first female condom called the FC One. So then from 1998 to 1999. The FDA approved Previn in 1998 and Plan B in 1999. And these two were the first brands of emergency contraception that can be used after intercourse to prevent pregnancy. And we all know Plan B. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never heard of Previn. I don't know if it's still around. But I... Maybe it's like a generic or something. Maybe. I just thought that Plan B was like the only emergency contraceptive. I could be wrong, though. I don't know. I've only seen, like, advertisements for Plan B. But, yeah, so they had Previn and Plan B, 1998 and 1999, which was probably a groundbreaking thing. Yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah, to have a pill that you can take if you, you know, are scared. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was pretty cool. So now, making another big jump from 1999 to 2010... Congress passed the Affordable Care Act, which we all know of, and this prohibited sex discrimination in health insurance and required coverage of all preventative health care without co-pays. And in 2011, the Obama administration issued regulations defining preventative health care to include coverage of all FDA-approved forms of contraception. Oh, that's so awesome. (laughs) Which I know that um, the Affordable Care Act can sometimes be controversial. But that's a wonderful thing to have contraception covered by insurance. Um, The birth control pills that I got, completely free. Mm -hmm. A three-month supply, completely free. Yeah. Well, covered by insurance. Yeah. Yeah. I know uh, when I was on it, I I was using the pill club. And so Mm -hmm. they would just send it to me. It was so easy um, if you guys are on birth control. So much easier than waiting at a pharmacy. Yeah. Because I know they would always make me late because they wouldn't have my prescription ready and all this whole thing. But I would do my birth control online, and it was always covered. And they would send me a year supply at a time, and yep. it would just always be free. Yep, which it's is a great option. It's great because at the end of the day, like it need it needs to be available to everyone for free. And I think that that is a great thing that came out of the Affordable Care Act, is that the FDA approved forms of birth control had to be covered. Mm-hmm. So that's wonderful. That's great. So, from 2010, we're moving to 2013, and so, you know, we're getting into recent times, and in 2013, the FDA approved over-the-counter sales of um, emergency contraception plan B for people under the age of 18. So, up until 2013, it wasn't, you couldn't buy plan B if you were under 18. Okay. And so, 
I think Plan B is the only emergency contraception now because it only lists Plan B. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. But um, I'm, like, really stuck on that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, that was in 2013. And then we have 2019 when the Trump administration imposed a, quote, domestic gag rule, end quote, on title what roman numeral is x 10 oh is it oh because iv is nine yeah okay so <laughs> is it 10? Let me look it up. um okay so on title x <laughs> <laughs> um ten. yep awesome okay um so yes Trump, the Trump administration imposed a domestic gag rule on Title X healthcare clinics providing contraception to low-income women, and this basically meant it decreased by 50% in availability the contraception and reproductive health services that were available to women. So after this this rule went into place that really blocked the um, how available this contraception was, then it was 50% less available to women. Again, I don't understand why. Like, I don't what either. reasoning? Why? I don't either. And this doesn't really go that much into it, so there's probably more to it. But, but like, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, and, like, in low-income areas, like, really? Yeah. Yeah, especially. Like, where, where people who seriously might not be able to afford having children mm-hmm. are going to be limited access to birth control yeah that's awful yeah I, that is awful. i'm gonna look more into it because that there might be more but like that is just really bothers yeah me. on the surface it just doesn't seem right mm-hmm. but um it, it's not right in general but yeah it would be interesting to know more so that was in 2019 and now we have today where political battles over contraception are raging and more research is needed on user-controlled methods that protect against STIs. So basically that first part means that birth control, as we know, it doesn't protect against STIs. It just protects against pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And so they want to do more research to find a pill that could possibly prevent STIs. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. which would be great. Um, so yeah, they want more research on that and more research on male birth control. That needs to happen. I'm sorry. Yeah. I need to talk to the president because we need to get that fast tracked. That's got to be number one priority. Joe. Joe, I know, I know that you are. You can help with this, Joe. Please help us. We need you to be an advocate here. Um. Yes. No, but seriously, that needs to be looked into. And you, I, I mean, I know that they're doing research and all this stuff, and probably with COVID, stuff is difficult to do yeah. trials and everything like that, but it needs to happen. But today, there's still a lot of barriers to people getting reliable contraception worldwide. Mm-hmm. So as many of the issues that we have here in America, like, imagine in other, like, third world countries and... yeah just crazy so that is the history of birth control that was great I was so surprised at so many times mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> especially like the ancient times it's just crazy that like 
we have that in common like it was so long ago mm-hmm. but like we can as women like relate like oh we don't want to get pregnant you know like yeah we're still finding ways back then to like still be able to like enjoy sex without having to fear being pregnant mm-hmm. yeah and it's just shocking to me how regulated it is like not by the fda because obviously it's a medicine or it's a medication and things need to be regulated that mm-hmm. way but just the fact that access to it is so regulated by the yeah, government still like it's 2022 this has been a very long uphill battle and it's still going mm-hmm. yeah and like this started literally in the 1870s the when we can see the history of it being regulated with the right. Comstock Act so you'd think that maybe after over 100 years we would stop putting so many laws on women and so many rules on women but no you still would not. think um I do know that like you mentioned the pill club that's a really great resource if you need birth control mm-hmm. and especially with COVID like yeah it, it's mailed directly to your house and you you have a doctor that prescribes it to you obviously right. a doctor has to prescribe it so if you have concerns like I started taking birth control and I was seeing an endocrinologist so I talked to my doctor about the birth control and then I switched over to online. But if you're scared about taking it or you have questions or concerns, you have that doctor who can answer your questions. So right. I, I know that I've chatted with them before. Yeah. They're very accessible. They're, they're so accessible. And even if you have like issues with your package or any other questions, they're so, so responsive. So yeah. yeah Pill club. Definitely. And so good. I Planned Parenthood is another great resource. Mm-hmm. I've never utilized their resources, but like, I know they have so many educational things. Mm-hmm. They, they do. I don't know if it's free. I think so. But like they do free STD and STI testing. It, yeah, it is free. Okay. Um, and like with birth control and like, even if you're not 18, like everything's confidential. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and if you do need birth control and, um, like, for me, I know when I got on birth control, I was scared to ask because I, I genuinely just needed it for cycle regulation. Yeah, your periods were really bad. Yeah, it was cycle regulation and menstrual cramps, which, like, I needed that, but I was so scared to ask my parents, which obviously, like, it wasn't an issue because they trusted me, but, like, I was so scared to ask, and so I actually um set up like a private insurance account if they listen to this so they're gonna know um but I set up a private insurance account where I could put my reproductive um like health type Mm -hmm. stuff under that insurance so it would charge our insurance still and I would get that reduced rate if I had to pay for anything else but my parents wouldn't see it and yeah. I set that whole thing up and then I just asked them, like, can I go on birth control? And they were like, yeah, that's fine. Like, mm-hmm. you need it for your cycle. Um, so, yeah, like, if you are nervous about that, too, there's – it's a different legal age for everyone. But I think in Colorado, once you turn 12, you are uh, you are responsible for your reproductive health. Well, that's really crazy, actually. I know. It is crazy. But um, I think it is once you turn 12 because I remember reading that and I was like, that's young. That is really yeah, but technically you are in charge of that. So you do have those options to be able to talk to a doctor and set up different things. So that will be billed to your insurance that your parents won't know about. So yeah, if that's a concern. Yeah, yeah. if it is. Um, But yeah, like there are many, many resources. So if you feel like I really need this, but there's no way I can get it. There are ways. Mm-hmm. 
yeah so definitely we will tag um we can tag Planned Parenthood just like their resources page in here if you want any more information so go to the show notes and if you want to learn more about the timeline of everything then go to the show notes too and look at the article because there was more of a timeline that we couldn't cover because obviously this episode's at 45 minutes so um it's kind of going long but yeah lots of interesting stuff so definitely check out those resources well thank you guys so much for listening to this episode and have a great week have a great week everyone we'll talk to you next week thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed this episode please share it with a friend and please rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening right now and go follow us on Instagram. You can find us at Real Talk About Feminism. And you can find us on all of our other platforms if you click the link in our Instagram bio. Thank you guys so much for listening to Real Talk About Feminism.